It's a very high microphone, you can, t- you can tell us it's not me speaking this morning. Um, good morning and welcome to our worship at Hillhead. Um, our worship for the first Sunday in Lent is led by Neil. Um, we have some lovely family news this morning. Um, Fiona Ferguson's eldest daughter, Leona, who now lives in Chicago, has had a little boy on Friday. Um, so we think the name is Tyree and uh, just congratulations to Fiona, to Betty, to all the family. Um, There will be lots of opportunities to be together in the coming week. Um, Our midweek conversation group meets on Zoom on Tuesday at 7. We'll be continuing our Lent conversations that we started on Ash Wednesday. So a reminder that we're using material, video material from Eco Congregation Scotland. Um, This means that everything that you need will be shared during the meeting. We'll watch a video together and there's no homework, nothing to prepare in advance. So you can decide at the last minute that you want to join us. You're welcome to join some or all of these Lenten conversations on Tuesday evenings on Zoom. The coffee club meet as usual at 10.30 on Wednesday at Esquire House. And then on this Friday, the 23rd, there will be another opportunity to gather socially um, for tea and cake at Brian's home, 6 Lancaster Crescent at 7pm. If you plan to attend, please let Brian know, ideally today, because um, this is a wee bit of a late announcement, um, but any time today or probably tomorrow at the, at a, at the outside, um, just for numbers. Next week, we will meet together as usual in the hotel and on Zoom, and I will lead our worship. Um, these are all our notices.
join in prayer together, let's pray. We pray that your peace would be in this place. After all the noise and bustle of getting here, help us to be still and to know your presence here this morning. You are closer than our hands and feet. Ours are the eyes with which you look out with compassion on the world. So we come to worship with our questions. We come to worship with our uncertainties. We come to worship with our hope. Surround us with your love and bring light into our troubled lives and hope into our frozen hearts. Lord, we pray for those who are so burdened down with anxiety and fear of the unknown. As the psalmist of old said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so this morning we are glad to be in your presence, not only here, but everywhere. Fill us with the joy of your companionship as we travel along the road of life. Free us from the dark corners of unforgiveness, nursed grievances, and clung to disappointments, and in their place, allow your light, grace, truth, peace, and welcome to flourish. Help us, Lord, to be kind and confident. Save us from negative, destructive thoughts and self-pity. Lord, we thank you that we belong to each other here and to you as now we join together, not only in this church, but in your body worldwide and in whatever language comes naturally. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen.
to talk to you today about dominoes. Now, to play dominoes, you need a table. So we have a table. Well, the normal way is to match the um, little spots, you see. Um, there are other people who try and build a tower with them. But I think the best way of playing dominoes is to line them up something like this. And there are people who spend their lives trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records for the longest possible domino run. So it goes something like this. You've got them arranged like that. And then all the excitement, because you never know how it's going to go. A lot of uncertainty. And uh, there we are, dominoes. So... Uh, The last one is pushed over by the first, and this is called the domino theory. And if one domino is missing, it really doesn't work. And that happens in life. Sometimes one thing leads to another. I want to tell you a true story that happened 100 years ago in 1924. My father got fed up with school. He was 14 years old, and he literally walked out of the class and refused to go back. He didn't stop walking till he came to the job centre and he got a boy, uh, as a boy of 14, he got a, a job as an office boy. So he was an office boy at the age of 14 and he seemed to have been quite successful um, in this lawyer's office. Well, the first job they had was to make the tea, but of course to make tea you need milk. So he started off by going to the dairy with a jug for milk and he um, bought a farthing's worth of milk. Now, <clears throat> he then made the tea, and uh, there we go, and uh, he made the tea, and uh, then after that it was a matter of delivering letters um, to other lawyers' offices. But there was a problem. Now, um, there we are, the voice back. The problem was that he had toothache from time to time. And the toothache got worse. Now, in 1924, there was no health service, and he kind of ignored the toothache, and it got worse and worse. And this went on for seven years, till 1931, and he couldn't stand the pain anymore. So he actually did the sensible thing. Now, all my family are quite pig-headed, and we don't really listen to advice. Um, and he just put up with the toothache, thinking it was going to go away, and maybe he would grow out of it, or whatever. So anyway, he booked an appointment with a dentist in Charing Cross and um, he uh, rang the bell. Less than a few seconds, a few, two or three seconds later, a girl of 17 answered the door. He went into the dentist. He had a mouthful of rotten teeth and they were fixed. But the trouble is he had to go back for several other appointments because his teeth were so bad. And ten years went by with various appointments. And in 1941, he married the girl who had opened the door. <laughs> now, I am not suggesting that if you want a romantic, glossy magazine, here is the best way of finding a partner. Get a mouthful of rotten teeth. But the fact of the matter is, had it not been for toothache, he would have not have gone to the dentist, 
because they didn't have routine appointments. The girl would open the door to someone else. I don't know. And so I speak to you this morning, a great many years later, as they were married in 1941, and I was born in the 1940s, later on in the 40s, and I speak to you today because I am here as a direct result of toothache. <laughs> well, sometimes mistakes, like not brushing your teeth, lead to great discoveries. Sometimes you make a mistake and you discover how very forgiving another person is. Their forgiveness makes the friendship strong. You might have seen in posh restaurants recently, there are things called Edison bulbs. They don't give off much light at all, but they've got a lovely orange glow to them, little filaments. Now these were invented by Thomas Edison. He was the first person to make a light bulb that actually worked and lasted for a reasonable period of time. So on bulb number one on the production line took 24 hours to make, and it was cooling down, the glass was cooling down, and he gave it to a boy that worked in the factory to take upstairs to the laboratory, but he dropped it on the stairs and it smashed. Well, they had to start again and that was another day's work and they got a second bulb made. And Thomas Edison got the same boy to carry bulb two up the stairs. Now that is forgiveness and that is love and that is how friendships develop. I know of good friendships that have grown when someone really helped another at a difficult time. Many people here I know fairly well, and I know that some of you certainly found that. They pass on positive energy that makes life worthwhile. Many of the stories in the Bible are domino stories, in the sense we don't know what's going to come next, but one thing leads to another. The Good Samaritan did not expect to meet a man that had been mugged and robbed. but he was ready when the unexpected happened. On the first Sunday of Lent, people often have a plan to give up something for a few weeks, maybe giving the money away that they would have spent on chocolate or something, and maybe have a simpler life and maybe be more devotional. Others may be ready for the unexpected domino, not planning exactly what they will give up, like chocolate or something, but being ready for an occasion when it arises. Where Jesus lived, there was a wedding tradition for the bride to have a girl's party. No one knew when the party would start because the idea was for the girls to meet the groom and they couldn't go into the party till the groom had arrived. <clears throat> the tradition was for the groom to arrive when least expected very often during the night. If you wanted to join the girls' party, you would need a light to be allowed in. In the story that Jesus told, there were ten girls waiting for the groom. Five had their lights brimful of oil. The other five did not bother to fill them. After a long wait, the groom arrived. The foolish girls were not allowed into the party, and it was too late to buy oil. We have to be ready for the next domino, whenever or whatever it is like. Let's sing about that now. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning.
This morning are from the book of Acts, beginning at chapter 6 and reading from the message. Stephen, brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place, whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some others from Cilicia and Asia, went up against him trying to argue him down but they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret, they bribed men to lie. We heard him cursing Moses and God. That stirred up the people, the religious leaders and religion scholars. They grabbed Stephen and took him before the high council. They put forward their bribed witnesses to testify. This man talks nonstop against his holy place and God's law. We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear this place down and throw out all the customs Moses gave us. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found they couldn't take their eyes off him. His face was like the face of an angel. And from chapter 7. At that point they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. He said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch over them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear. Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words, and then he died. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. That set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, all that is but the apostles. Good and brave men buried Stephen, giving him a solemn funeral. Not many dry eyes that day. And soldiers went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. Let's think about Stephen, one of the first Christian martyrs. 
one of the most significant heroes in the Bible, and yet very seldom preached about. We know the facts that he was stoned to death, but too often we ignore his speech, his last words. Stephen was a much-loved leader and a popular preacher, but some people had it in for him and bribed false witnesses to lie, saying we heard him cursing Moses and God. Stephen was falsely charged with blasphemy and brought before the Jewish council, just as Jesus was. And in case we get smug about our own legal system, just look at the mess that so many of our sub-postmasters have been put through by evidence that was false and known to be at the time. And here again, an ordained priest involved. Stephen was among the first to foresee the inevitable break with Jewish worship, which the new teaching required. The chief priest asked Stephen what he had to say for himself, and rather than try to defend himself, he uses this as an opportunity to proclaim his message. Stephen gives a long speech outlining the history of the Jewish people, and this chapter 7 of Acts of the Apostles is a superb summary of the Old Testament. Stephen highlights the importance of the Joseph story. And when I mention Joseph, I mean Joseph of amazing technicolor dream coat, the man who had so many brothers. Stephen explores the character of Joseph as being of central importance. So let's have a look at that. Joseph is a fine example of what Stephen would see as being the same as good Christian living. We all know the well-known story of how Joseph saved the people of Israel from starvation with his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream about the seven years of famine. God is with Joseph in the vulnerability and rejection, and it's through Joseph's trust in God during hard times that he is able to save not only his own people, but other nations too. The heart of the story is the forgiveness the victim offers to those who have wronged him, and in particular, his own brothers who wanted to throw him in a pit to die and then sold him as a slave. Also Pharaoh's wife, who falsely accuses him of adultery. But out of this, a new future can begin for the family of Israel. Joseph's story includes jealousy between brothers, Joseph and Benjamin being the favourites because they are the only two sons of both Jacob and Rachel. The multicolored coat being an example of old Jacob's expression towards one of his two favorites, the other ten brothers having a different mother. Added to this, Rachel died in childbirth while giving birth to Benjamin, and therefore making Joseph very protective of his younger brother. There was some justification for the jealousy that these other brothers felt due to his favoritism. You may have heard of the Reverend Jock Thompson. Well, maybe not, but you've certainly seen the uh, painting by Rayburn of the skating minister. Now, that is not actually Jock Thompson. That is probably Robert Walker, who was a neighbouring minister in the Canongate Kirk at the bottom of the Royal Mile. Well, back to Jock Thompson. Jock Thompson, 200 years ago, was the minister of Duddingston Kirk that overlooks this little loch. But tragedy befell him, his wife died, leaving him with five children. It so happened that a woman in the congregation, her husband had died at the same time, and she also had the same number of kids. Well, you can imagine what happened a few months later. They got married, and they had some more children together. 
But the new Mrs. Thompson had a most irritating habit in the manse. When anyone came, she would say, well, you see, these are Jock's first wife's kids. These are my first husband's kids. And these two over there, well, they're our kids. And Jock got absolutely sick of this. And one day in front of all the posh people in the manse, he said, Ach, woman, wished there are Jock Thompson's bairns. And that's where that expression came from. And it's wonderful. And it, I don't think she ever opened her mouth on that subject again. They all belong together. And that, oh, look what's happened here. And uh, it would be far better, back to the book of Genesis, if old Jacob had said to his sons, ach, they're all Jacob Tamson's sons, instead of creating jealousy within his family. But there again, look how the disaster of the sibling rivalry worked out, with Joseph being sold as a slave to Pharaoh, interpreting his dreams, saving Egypt, and then the Hebrews from starvation. How many good things come out of disaster? Domino, domino, domino. Is this not part of the Christian importance of hope over despair? The brothers in the Bible are often full of hatred. Cain and Abel, with Cain murdering Abel. The prodigal, who squandered everything, and his miserable, resentful elder brother. Even more examples of brothers that don't get on. Jacob and Esau, with Jacob being smooth in both senses of the word and stealing his brother's birthright with his mother's approval. What a bad role model this Jacob was. And remember that smooth guy Jacob was the father of Joseph. Again, the stories tie in. What a mess between brothers and even Jesus and his brothers with his family saying he is out of his mind, although they changed their opinion later. When brothers fall out, they each have an endless supply of ammunition, of bad things the other brother has done. And this can sometimes cause an explosion that is in danger of destroying them both. How many successful family businesses do you know who have been, that have been destroyed in this way? The family breaks apart, they form their own businesses that normally fail soon after. But Joseph was unique because he forgave his brothers in a very Christ-like way. And that part of the story really impressed Stephen hundreds of years later. So maybe no Joseph, maybe no Stephen's speech. At the center of the Christian faith is the call not so much to love our friends, which is easy to do, but to love our enemies. Brotherly love is so misunderstood as being about brothers who really get on but it must include brothers who do not get on. It must include forgiveness and not spending negative energy, even though that could easily be justified. In this church, our 1883 constitution includes these words that used to be read on the first Sunday of the year, every year. And we do solemnly pledge ourselves by the help of God to live with each other and with those who may hereafter be united with us in unity and brotherly love. And I put it to you, this was not so much about friends skipping along to a Disney song with like-minded people, but maybe more about love and acceptance of diversity. Maybe with those with whom we disagree, maybe even strongly disagree on some points, or find very difficult at times 
Maybe that is why this church still exists. Maybe our understanding of brotherly love is the result of what Joseph thought that meant. Wisdom is very difficult to define, but the life of Joseph really shows what wisdom is. It has to do with the long-term view of things, to see the things the way that God sees things. In the case of Joseph, this included forgiveness of his brothers. It's a bit like Nelson Mandela on release from jail on Robben Island, recalling that as he walked towards the gate that would be the sign of his freedom, he knew that he would have to leave behind. In that place, any bitterness, otherwise he would still be a prisoner for the rest of his life. Back to Stephen's speech. Maybe the high priest did not listen, as they were deafened by their own preconceived ideas, but someone else did. At the end of the chapter, a most horrific account. They dragged Stephen out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words, then he died. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. And that scene burnt into Saul's mind, smouldering away and making him aware of his own sin, being complicit in this murder, and would have prepared him for his dramatic conversion to the new faith. It lit the fuse of Saul of Tarsus, who, as Paul, would take the leading role in the second half of the book of Acts, and who wrote half the New Testament. Here we have the domino effect. Without Stephen, there could well be no Paul. As a result of Paul's letters, there was a more structured understanding of our faith and a detailed academic theology. However, our faith is not based on big intellectual ideas. After all, Jesus entrusted the faith to his disciples, most of whom were just ordinary fishermen who could neither read nor write. But it was Paul who showed that the faith could withstand intellectual rigor and a certain amount of rationality. Moving on, several centuries, 15 centuries later, three events take place, around about 500 years ago now. The Protestant Reformation in Germany, the invention of an efficient printing press, and as a result, an explosion in education for ordinary people who could now read the Bible for the first time. Domino, domino, domino. No Stephen, no Paul, no epistles, no printed widely available Bibles, no massive education in reading and writing, maybe no elaborated preaching, discussion, maybe a faith that was very ritualistic with little understanding of the life and person of Jesus and who he was. The domino does not need to be perfect to work. It might be the slightly unusual or even rejected domino that is what is required. But the end result is caused by all the dominoes and many of the stories in the Bible lead on from what happened before. The domino effect of Stephen's speech was enormous. Thanks be to God.
spend some time in prayer praying for others let us pray together Lord God Father, Son and Spirit we come before you knowing that you are a God who is near to us even when we don't feel it we acknowledge that you hear our prayers and ask that in our prayers we are ready to listen as much as we are speaking as we think about our prayers for others it's easy to get overwhelmed by the sadness and suffering in the world around us. And sometimes it's too easy to find some good in it to stop ourselves getting overwhelmed and paralysed by the suffering. But rather than try to make someone else's suffering into something good, help us to name when injustices are simply wrong, when suffering has no greater meaning, and when grief leaves us feeling empty. May we know that you grieve with us and accompany us when we suffer, and more than we can know, help us to remember you understand the emptiness of suffering. So, Lord, we long for your perfect peace while we strive for justice and ask that your grace perfects our witness. We bring before you the areas of conflict in the world and the meaningless loss of life on all sides. We pray against all those who perpetrate violence and ask that in those places of power, that those in places of power seek to de-escalate the conflict. We pray for those who are oppressed that they may gain liberation and for those who wield power that they would be restrained. As we gear up to a year of elections across the globe, may we discern well how to deal with differences in ways to seek the best for a nation state. While we pray for those who are elected to power to be wise and compassionate, we also pray for ourselves, the voters, both those who support and those who oppose the elected, that all will seek the good of one another. In our Christian witness, may we remind those around us that we're called to seek the good of all so that all might flourish under God. Lord, we long for your perfect peace, while we strive for justice and ask that your grace perfects our witness. We pray for our churches across Scotland. This week we pray for Calderwood Baptist Church. Campbelltown Community Church and Cannon Mills Baptist Church. We also think of the Baptist Union of Scotland Central Team and ask that you give them wisdom on how they best support churches across Scotland. May they seek your kingdom first before all other kingdoms. We also pray for the Baptist Mission Society and their missionaries across the world. This week, we remember their work in France in an often hostile and apathetic environment. We pray for the Federation of Evangelical Baptist Churches in France as they seek new leadership and for their migrant church plants in Marseille, Strasbourg and Tours. May they grow into flourishing communities. Lord, we long for your perfect peace while we strive for justice and ask that your grace perfects our witness. Lord, we pray for our own communities, our church, 
and for our families. We pray for those that we interact with on a weekly or daily basis, the servers and cafes, the shop workers, our neighbours. May we treat them as those created by you and that you care for. May we see Christ in them so that they might see Christ in us. We pray for our church. May we embody your love and may our witness balance your loving and welcoming embrace with the prophetic resistance against comfortable platitudes. We pray for those who are unwell or grieving. May they know your healing and restoration. We take a moment to remember those close to us who need to know your presence and peace. May you hear our prayers for others who are close to us. Lord, we long for your perfect peace while we strive for justice and ask that your grace perfects our witness. Let us rejoice. Let us aim for restoration. Let us comfort one another. Let us agree with one another. And may we live in peace as the God of love and peace goes with us. May all this be accomplished to glorify the Father through the Son and perfected in the Spirit through which all things hold together. Amen.
as we leave this harbour of peace and calm and venture into the ocean of uncertainty, keep us in the certainty of your eternal presence. Amen.